but we want to put our money into the producers that are doing the work for a better future, a better climate, a better product at the end. You know, you have somebody stumble in off the street, they don't really know what it is, and then they end up, you end up talking to them for 45 minutes because they just have question after question after question. And they walk out saying, oh my God, like I didn't, I never knew that I would ever be so interested in wine on this level. This is One on One, a table for two production. I am Antoine Aboussamra. We tried to not use the term natural wine too much more than in like hashtags is because there is a fear that there's a fad, a trend attached to that. Every week, One on One dives into the world of food and wine through the eyes and experience of my guests. In each episode, you will discover their journey, what matters to them, the challenge they have faced, and how the world of food and wine is evolving. You know, it was almost like Kismet when Kara kind of came up to me and she said, look, I have this idea for a business. And it just, all of it clicked with me. At that point, I felt like I had enough uh, knowledge and experience to say, okay, let's do it. It is a wonderful pleasure uh, to welcome you back on the one-on-one podcast. And today I have the great pleasure, privilege, and honor to welcome Kara Patricia and Simi Grewal, uh, both co-founders of Decant SF. Now, just to give a small introduction about Decant SF, uh, for the introduction on, on Kara and Patricia, I will let you check the uh, the bios, which are they have fantastic experience, but let me go back to Decant SF for a second. When you look at it, it's like the nirvana for wine and beer in San Francisco. The problem with nirvana is that it's hard to get to because they started in 2019, <laughs> a very <laughs> peculiar time. So for them to create their nirvana, it was kind of a bit of a challenge, I would say, wasn't it? Yes. I mean, you don't get to nirvana easily. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a lot of practice, yes. <laughs> a lot of concentration, yeah. a lot of meditation. <laughs> so how complicated was it? You start, COVID hits? Well, I think yeah. even before that, you know, first of all, getting to the point where we could open was its own real struggle and took a few years. Um, and then getting open and, and saying, okay, here we go. We're finally you know, getting our, our feet wet and our hands dirty. And it's, you know, we're rolling into month nine of the business. And then boom, we're told, hey, you have to shut down your bar, which is for us, our, was our main source of revenue at that time. Because we are a shop and a bar, we can still sell yeah. retail. So you're a shop, you're, you're a shop, you're a bar, you have events, you yeah. teach classes yeah mm-hmm. so as i said nirvana everything whatever you want on 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 wine and beer you can find it at the Kent sf yeah yeah so it was definitely um a shock to the system but i think also one that you know we were able to sort of see coming in a very slow way as we watched the rest of the world slowly shut down and so i think getting ahead of it and being so uh proactive into how we we did it uh, how we handled COVID really helped us survive it. Yeah. Did you did you anticipate what we were going to do, knowing that lockdown would come, or it was like one day you got the news and it was like, damn, what? Do no, we do we, we definitely anticipated it. I think like thank Christ, both of us are like avid public radio listeners, and like we were just listening to the news all the time, and 
I remember as soon as it hit Italy, Simi and I were like, okay, like this is serious. It's going to impact the wine industry. And, um, and then I think like once it was in Seattle, I was like, we need to stop right now and take pictures of every single bottle on our wall and get our online store going. Because we had an online store, but it was a very, very small part of what we were doing. And we did that. Like we spent a weekend taking pictures of every single item in our store, writing descriptions, getting it all onto our online, you know, to shop.tocansf.com. And then the day that the shutdown was announced like in San Francisco, we were ready and we had orders out of control for the the next two months. We were constantly making deliveries, doing pickups. It was really great. We were definitely a step ahead of a lot of the other similarly sized uh, businesses in, in San Francisco. We were really lucky that we were just paying so much attention. And yeah. Simi's whole family are doctors too. So we were getting like the inside scoop of what was happening on the <laughs> East coast. And we were like, Oh God. Yeah. yeah. So that helps. <clears throat> so, so baptism of fire somehow yes. in a sense, a thousand percent. Let's backtrack for a second. Now, if I understand correctly, this is a project that you wouldn't have done with someone else for the both of you. It, it, it was yeah. kind of a, kind of something that was, you know, obvious who pulled the other one into it i would say i definitely pulled simi into this decant sf was like this small little brainchild i had had i actually i'm from chicago originally and i had a like a little wine blog you know i started in like Mm -hmm. 2009 and like a twitter account called decant chicago that was a long time ago yeah, I was like, I want to win that many. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't even. I was just like a baby wine buyer at a restaurant in Chicago, um, and I was like, I'm going to have my own place. I'm going to do all of these things that I'm not seeing get done. Um, and then when I went to California, I went to the Culinary Institute of America for our sort of our capstone project. We had to do. Um, kind of like a thesis for our wine and beverage studies program. And I basically wrote the, wrote a preliminary business plan to what then became Decant San Francisco. And kind of the crazy thing, even on that business plan, I, for all the market research, I did the market research for the neighborhood we're in now. And like the address for it was like, you know, 000 Folsom Street. We are 1168 Folsom Street. So it was kind of like a, a very weird, it was a very weird thing that we did. Premonition. You were a senior. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. And at the CIA, you met, that's right. You met met Simi. Yeah. yeah. So for our non-US uh, listeners, uh, the CIA is the Culinary Institute of America and not the spy thing. Yes. To... E- even even in America, we have to clarify that pretty frequently. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. you're these kind of people. <laughs> no, 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 we're into wine and food. <laughs> yeah, we're wine spies. <laughs> and Simi was there. And, you know, to be honest, Simi and I weren't like super close at the CIA. Like, I think we had our own little groups. I mean, it was a very small class. She was a lot younger than me too. And then, and uh, 
I'm still um, a lot younger than her, just to be clear. Yeah, it, yeah, it goes without saying. That is true. Yeah, she was kind of like straight out of college. I'd already been in like had, ah, had a few jobs in hospitality. But she caught up. Kind of, and I, oh, completely. Um, and I kind of like gravitated towards the, all the old um, jaded restaurant veterans. And, uh, but, you know, she moved back to New York after culinary school. I stayed in uh, the Bay Area. And when she moved back, that's actually when we became close. And yeah. Simi, why, why were you so interested in, in joining uh, that adventure? Well, so everything I had kind of done, so my degree is in the business of food. Um, I knew from a very kind of early time in my, in my education that I really wanted to go into the restaurant industry in some capacity. Um, so while, you know, I, I did go to the CIA right after graduating, but I had been working in restaurants since I was 17 years old. Um, so for me, and I had worked in all kinds of positions because for, for me, my goal was to just gain a very wide understanding of how does this business work on any side of the, of the chain, mm -hmm. right? Because I wasn't sure where I wanted to end up, but I knew that if I was going to get there, I needed to kind of learn everything. And when I went back to New York, I was working in a three Michelin star restaurant, um, really just trying to gain experience and, and knowledge. When I went back to San Francisco, I really focused on, I said, I need to find a job that teaches me the financial aspects of a restaurant. I, I didn't know where the career was going to take me, but I also knew that, look, I don't want to be on a restaurant floor in 15 years still yeah. doing the same job. And the only way to do mm -hmm. that is that in this industry is either you commit and you double down and say, I'm going to work in the really high-end restaurants and, and make a really respectable living. Um, and I'm going to do that for 20 years, 25 years until my body can't handle it. Or you yeah. figure out, okay, how does it work? And what am I going to build for myself? So I came back to California knowing that whatever experiences I was picking up, it was going to be in the goal of launching my own business by the time I was 30. That was just always a goal I had in my head. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I just knew this is what I would like to do. And so it was almost like, you know, it was almost like Kismet when I, when Cara kind of came up to me and I had been here for a few years and she said, look, I have this idea for a business. And it just, all of it clicked with me. It made complete sense. I really believed in the idea. And at that point, I felt like I had enough uh, knowledge and experience on the um, kind of management side of things and the financial side of things to say, okay, let's do it. Why not? Yeah, taking that next sleep. Yeah, so when you met Kara, did you see it coming? or Because what you no, were like, looking for is, is was around the corner somehow. Yeah, well... I mean, like I said, when, or like Kara said, when we met, you know, we were classmates. We weren't particularly close friends, but we certainly, you know, we, we had a respect for each other. We both recognized each other's talent. Um, and, and so when I came back to San Francisco, she was very, very helpful in helping me get set up and find a job. And, and we just, you know, we became much closer. So I think this idea kind of naturally evolved. I, I mean, she brought the idea to me, but I also think There's not, there's no one else she would have brought the idea to. It was like she had the seed and, and because we both had different strengths where she had the ideas and I had the wherewithal to say, okay, how do we logistically make this happen? Um, it worked. Yeah, Kara, what clicked true. at that moment again when, when she came back to, when, when Simi came back to California, what clicked? 
Well, seeing like what she was doing and, and seeing her personal trajectory and really honestly, like seeing just her like competence and her like intelligence, that is, I mean, there are a lot of intelligent people in our industry. Are there a lot of competent people that you would trust? <laughs> like that's a different, that's a different thing. And Simi was just like very driven, very ambitious she knew that, you know, working in, in Michelin restaurants were a step to the next thing. And that's exactly what I had done. And, you know, when she was working for the Bacchus group, which has in San Francisco, um, Barry, like Spruce, Selby's, and where she worked the Village Pub, that, I mean, I couldn't have thought of better mentors for her to have had because I worked in a very different sort of way. I worked at places that had no budget and places where budget didn't matter. I helped somebody open a business, which was a disaster. And I was like, I need someone who actually cares about doing the work as opposed to having something open and being like, this is mine while not contributing to anything. And that's the big thing I think that Simi and I do together is we put in the work. We put in the work. <laughs> Which is important. So how do you... Yeah. W- so the start was complicated to open and then you had COVID. Yeah. How do you yeah. deal with that hardship? Because there's so many unknowns. You, you're seeing uh, places around you closing um, because that, 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 that was still is a reality in the business because of, of COVID and, and the circumstances. How do you define the supporting system between the two of you? Because it's, it's important. You're not just on your own. Maybe that's an advantage. And and what makes you yeah. go forward? Yeah, How do you find the energy and the, the belief? You know, I think the energy comes from the idea of we have so many people who haven't, you know, invested, a, invested us in us obviously with their money but also just with the that support of just saying hey i'll write you a check means so much and it's really some a lot of it is kind of this idea of like well we have you know no matter what we do like we can't let down the people who have really put their faith in us um and have been really supportive to us i think a like having just a phenomenal group of investors who's constantly through the pandemic been checking in not to say how is my investment doing, but to say, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. That's really been a huge help. Um, and I'm grateful that we made really smart choices with the people we asked to help us. And then secondly, I think Cara and I, I don't think either of us would have survived the pandemic if it was just us running the business. I think we, we've we leaned on each other a lot and there's definitely mm-hmm. been moments of tension. Um, but you know, a business relationship, a business partnership is very much just like a romantic partnership or co-parenting, if you mm-hmm. will. Like you have to really be willing to say a lot of things that you wouldn't maybe say otherwise. You have to soak in a lot of things that you don't want to soak in all the time. Um, and you have to also just trust that the other person can back you up when you need it. You know, if you if you're yeah. having a day where you're just where you're, I, you know there were days where sh- we both had days where I said, look, I, I'm mentally drained, I physically drained, I cannot do this today, and being able to say that and and know that it yeah. can be heard is really important in a partnership. Yeah. It's so important to have that understanding back and forth. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Kara. I don't believe in failure <laughs> either. You don't believe I, in failure? In what I sense? I mean, I've failed a lot, but I don't want to fail, especially not like publicly. And I don't think that there'd be anything <laughs> more horrible for me than to have to close a business during, I mean, even during the pandemic, like it just, to me, I was like, there is no way that we're, that this is going to be the end. We put in, like I said, we do the work. It was like, okay, our payroll is me and Simi now, the two of us. Um, we had, we asked for help which I think is very important. We asked for help. We had so many friends that were now unemployed, sommeliers, bartenders, whatever. And they were more than happy to help us, oftentimes completely for free, and do deliveries for us, help us pack up boxes because now we were shipping wine across the country like crazy. We couldn't afford to hire anyone or have anyone on payroll I mean, before the PPP loans and everything. It was like, we had to run lean. We had to just like everybody else in the country, um, hurt financially, mm -hmm. uh, personally. Right. Um, and we had to reinvest every single dollar of our business back into the business for two and a half years, basically a long time. Like, yeah, we, we finally started paying ourselves again this in 2022, right? Maybe the end of 2021, like once like the holiday season came, like we, you know, personally, financially, I think both of us were set back, you know, five years, not just two and a half years, right? Because everything that we had saved, we drained. Business wise, I mean, I do have to say, I'm very, very thankful for the amount of like grants and money that was available and, you know, taking out small business loans is a very scary thing. Mm -hmm. um, luckily we did it before the interest rates raised. Uh, yeah. Cause you got to repay like, it. Yeah, exactly. That's the exactly. thing with loans. Yeah. And, and that's just one of those things that we had to learn. Like when we started, it was very much, we have these investors. We, we got this money. We put our own money in too. Like we also invested equity and sweat, right? Like we want to see that money again. And our, our small amount of investors, they want to see that money again. And it kind of went from being totally worried about paying them back to they're going to understand. And we have to understand that every single dollar has to go right back into the business. Mm -hmm whether it's buying patio furniture, because all of a sudden San Francisco says, guess what? You can do outdoor dining. You know, that's, that was a, you know, a $3,500 investment that had to go back into the business. Right. And it, and it helped. So that's sort of what we we're, we're, we're just kind of getting out of, I think this sort of um, austerity that we kind of did of putting everything back mm -hmm. into the business because now we do want to move into more of a profit-driven side where we can start paying everybody back. Um, there's, a, there's a question I had concerning the how you sold the business before COVID. Because you had a business plan, you had an idea and everything. And then COVID hit, you had to alter because of the situation. But during that period, have you seen... Have you envisioned a different way the business could grow afterwards? Because you, you know, 
because eventually COVID was was going to end. Was there a change in the approach you had of what Decant SF was initially? And then, you know, the pandemic strikes and then you I have to adjust and then there's afterwards. Yeah, I think in reality, you know, the online component and everything that we're doing now was actually a part of the original business plan. Mm-hmm. But when we first opened, you know, having having every day having a bar open means that you lose that many hours in the day. Every time a customer walks through the door and sits at your bar, you have to put your laptop away. You you are done with that time of being able to say, okay, I'm working on that thing. And so when the pandemic hit, it really, A, it gave us time mm-hmm. um, and space to build out this whole side of the business, the online portion that we had always intended to do, but never had the time or bandwidth to do. And so in that way, you know, the pandemic, the slowness that the pandemic brought or the stillness was really helpful for us because nine months in, we were able to say, okay, where are we at? What have we done? And now what do we do going forward? But I think that it's also brought light to this idea of how powerful, you know, the the whole online sector is of our business and how much, how much more we can evolve it. I think that that has really been been an eye-opening experience in that way. Whereas, you know, when we opened, we were in a location that was close to all these huge tech companies that now the offices are closed. And so we're not getting those daily bar patrons in. And so we have to make that up in a different way. And so the online, I think we're looking towards the future and saying, okay, well, let's say we wanted to open a second business you know, is it necessarily going to be the same thing we're doing here? Or will, will it be something that is more perhaps driven by online sales? That's a conversation that we've had. And it's been introduced because of the experience we've had during COVID, certainly. Yeah. Is online uh, still a big part now that you have reopened physically? or I would say that it's a big part in the sense of that's how we sell all, uh, like all of our tickets and RSVPs to our classes and events Mm -hmm. that's how we get our um bottle club members for sure and because of websites like wine searcher and google that really kind of crawl online stores that's actually how we sell a lot of our more high value items our allocated wines things like that because people are finding them that might not you know it's not necessarily the clientele that's walking in the door in soma every day Um, so that is a big part, but we're really trying to grow it. And the big part of what we're trying to grow is our wine clubs because clubs are this, you know, subscription based monthly or quarterly guaranteed revenue. And that, you know, every quarter, our month's rent is basically paid on day one because of all of the clubs going through. Which is great. And that's great. And that's really what we're like looking for, right? Is it's, we put a lot of work into the clubs, but at the end of the day, we want to make sure that our overall overhead, right? Is kind of can be paid for by these clubs over time so that we have the bandwidth and the money to invest into other really great programming and really great wine on the shelves too. So let's talk about the wine. Oh, yeah, yeah, please. So I'll <laughs> talk about it. Let's let's talk about the wine because there's something particular that you you have an inclination towards natural wine. Uh, how? Not only. I, okay. 
I Good. wouldn't say natural wine. Ah, uh, okay. That's okay, a loaded okay. term. Ooh, okay, 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 okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, how, so how would you define them? Sustainability, organics, and biodynamics. Oh, and, that sounds better. Uh, yeah, and um, we focus on, you know, family-owned or, like, independently-owned producers. One reason why we definitely, and I think I can speak for Simi on this as well, is we try to not use the term natural wine too much more than in like hashtags um, is because there is a fear that there's a fad, a trend attached to that. And there are, you know, you can't walk in the Bay area without stumbling over a natural wine bar, a restaurant with a natural wine list. Everybody's touting natural wine. Some are doing better than others. Some are Mm -hmm. pouring flawed wines some are pouring really great producers. So to get around that, you know, sustainability is our absolute core. It's, it's owning a wine business. There's a lot of waste. So how can we kind of help with that? Well, we're going to make sure that we're not doing anything with conventional farming. We want to make sure that our independent producers are being supported, especially ones in the Bay Area that are making really great wine. We also blind taste everything. So if somebody wants to get their wine into our shop, whether they're an importer or a producer, they either drop a sample or they make an appointment with us and we literally wrap them in bags and pour them out in a blind flight and we taste through them because what we're doing is we're tasting for value and quality. We're not trying to be like looking at the label, looking at the producer and buying it just because of that. We want it to taste good for its money. Do the producer have to be certified? No, 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 no. But they so definitely, how, how... it has to be a part of their, it has to be part of their um, their ethos and their mission. Regenerative farming. And... Okay, how would you know they're sustainable or you know, they're regenerative, re- regenerative uh, organic? Uh, there are certain certification, yeah. not a lot of them. Are thinking in US One thing is, Creek and a couple of others, I think. Yeah. One way we do that is, you know, the the importers that we're working with. Mm-hmm. Luckily in California, we can find that information out right away. If somebody says they're from a certain vineyard, I can look up that vineyard and see what's going on. Um, but our importers are really, really, they really understand that that's all we want, that we don't want anything that's conventionally farmed. So we're going, you know, beyond like just loot raisonne in France and now moving into these HVE threes, you know, these, there, there are this sort of the uh, stably certified. And then, you know, in Washington, there are tons of different certifications from salmon safe to green, Napa green, mm-hmm. Sonoma sustainability. Not everything is perfect, but we want to put our money into the producers that are doing the work. For a better future, a better, you know, climate, a better product. At the end. Why would you say people come to you? Because there's something distinct about the DNA of Decant SF. Yeah. See me. Why would they? Us. Why do they come to you? Well, I think it's your, it's it's your because, pitch. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I think it's because they can see. You know, like Cara said, we put in the work, and I think if when people walk into Decant and they see that Cara and I are there almost every day and 
you know, we are working long hours and everybody walks to the door, we try very much to give them the same experience as long as they, as long as they want to interact, you know, we're there to say, okay, let's have a long conversation about whatever you want to talk about. And, you know, my favorite days are the ones where, you know, you have somebody stumble in off the street, they don't really know what it is. And then they end up, you end up talking to them for 45 minutes because they just have question after question after question. And they walk out saying, oh my God, like I didn't, I never knew that I would, you know, ever be so interested in wine on this level. Um, just because they've, they've never had a space where they could ask the questions and someone's just gonna, you know, answer and answer with a smile. Like, I'm really happy to have those conversations about wine. And I think that's what keeps our clientele coming back in. And we could, we could see it through the pandemic for sure, because like I said, when we opened nine months in, we're still, we were still very new to the neighborhood and people didn't necessarily, there was there had never been like a really good wine shop in that neighborhood, a boutique wine shop, if you will. Most people were going to Costco or Trader Joe's, which are not far from where we're located, yeah. and kind of just but buying not stuff really boutique, not not right. super boutique. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, you know, I've seen this now through the course of the last two and a half years of our of the people who have now become our regulars or the people who really just during the pandemic they were coming in and shopping really quietly or quickly and they didn't really know us and now we have built the relationships and that's really the core of a small of a good small business is the relationships like yes the products you're selling are a huge part of it but the relationship you create with your with your guests with your customer is a really really crucial thing and i you know it's always scary like that the first time i remember that cara and i we had hired people and we were like, okay, this is the first day that neither one of us is going to be there. The whole day oh I was God. just, I was so nervous. <laughs> I like kept checking the cameras and I was like, what's going on in there? Because a lot of it is the experience. When mm. you hire people, of course you can impart the idea that, hey, hospitality is the first and foremost you know, idea we would like to convey here. Um, and we want you to treat everybody with this mentality of hospitality. But, you know, nobody's going to work as hard as you because you own the business. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, so the um, DNA, the DNA and the reason, first and foremost, besides the, the, the great wines that you have, thanks to Cara and Simi, this is why they're coming. Because yeah. they... Oh, yeah. Well, well it, I mean, at this point, yeah, at this point now we do have, we have some wonderful employees and I think, yeah. I think a lot of our regulars have connected with them as well, but it's that it's because yeah. of that idea, like hey, hospitality is really important. We want you to get to know our clientele and our guests and, and, and just respond to them. Like remembering somebody's name or remembering the wine that they bought last time goes a really long way in, in being able to forge a relationship. So yeah, I think that's yeah, we don't, on our employees. Our, our staff, we don't, you know, we don't call our staffs, our staff bartenders or shop girls or sales associates. They're sommeliers. That is what they are. And that's what we are. Every guest that comes in gets their own personal sommelier, whether they're ordering a wine flight, whether they're there for happy hour, whether they're picking out beers, or whether they're buying a bottle to bring home to cook with whatever they're making. Mm -hmm. We have a conversation with 90% of our clients, regardless of what they're getting. And that is so different than every retail shop I've ever been. And I think that is the one thing that's really missing from online retail as well. And like sort of 
our next phase is how to create more of a story with our online retail so people can feel like they are getting advice for every bottle as opposed to just kind of like swiping through. The amount of notes and personal tasting notes we even put on our online items is incredible because we want people to have a story. So basically, you want to translate. Actually, it's going. It was going. To, it's answering somehow the, the the question that I was going to have afterwards. Is basically to be able to translate the experience that people have when they walk into Decant SF, but to have this in one way, shape, or form on the online store. So that's a great challenge. It's not yeah. easy to do because you know the personal contact to translate that into the online world is 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 tricky. I've got a lot of ideas <laughs> and sure luckily, you. <laughs> you know, we use, we, we use Shopify and they actually have things where like people can like, you know, chat bots, they can talk to you mm-hmm. right away, but it doesn't have to be a bot. It can actually go to my phone and I want to like implement that, but like, where's the time? So where do we get to the point that we can start really being personal sommeliers mm-hmm. throughout? We've, we've captured it with um, event companies and corporate guests um we have a lot of repeating corporate um customers who have never even been in the shop but because we go the extra mile on our emails and on our phone calls Mm -hmm. we have their business time and time again because we are offering them something that you know the big dot coms um or you know big box stores can't can't even though they they might get a better price there. Someone yesterday called me and they're like, you know, I was just going to go to BevMo, but I figured if I tell you what you're doing, you can actually curate something for me. And I'm like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. We will. Amazing. Yeah. And we haven't worked with that person in two years. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the value. The value. People need that touch, need to be taken care of. It's wonderful. Can only wish you a lot of great success in in your coming plans and uh, in, in in the future of Decant SF and whatever will happen afterwards. Unfortunately, we're getting uh, close to the end of the uh, conversation. But before we end, uh, we have the people questionnaire. So it's the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, so I'll ask the question: Who want to answer first, and then, or just as it comes, or the faster, the the one that is faster than the other one. <laughs> Maybe we can both answer. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Go for it. Potentially, it can be the same answer as well. Yeah. So, what is your favorite (laughs) word, Carol? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. See me. Well, my favorite word is probably "God damn it." (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Sounds good. What's your least? I do hear that. Yeah. I hear that like five times a day. Yeah. What's your least favorite word? No. Kind of makes sense. (laughs) Initial answer, yes. No, yeah, that's true. No yeah. is my favorite word. Okay, what's your favorite word? Wait, that no is your favorite word to me? No, my least sense. favorite word. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to you, it might be my favorite word. Yeah, <laughs> that's why it's my least favorite word. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite virtue? Honesty, probably. Integrity. What's your favorite quality in a man? In like they humans? don't have qualities. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Cleanliness? I don't know. <laughs> uh humility see me and anything i mean it's a strange question um it it, it comes from the from france don't worry yeah, <laughs> would, yeah definitely humility, humility. Yeah. okay so what's your, what's your favorite quality in a woman strength uh 
I think humility all around is really, it, it's an underrated quality and it's so yeah. important. What wine would you use to describe yourself? Brunello. Oh, I was going to say that for you, Simi. Yeah, well, it does, it does, it does translate well. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah Simi is totally Brunello. Um, I think I, I remember answering this question a long time ago, like 15 years ago, and I said Viognier. I feel like I've misunderstood and often not liked until you get to you really get to know her. You know, you really get a good one. Viognier right. is what and, and, and and you know, full bodied. Yeah. <laughs> um, What did you say? What aroma or smell do you love? I like that that uh, Samur Champagne, that like soft rose petal. Are you mm. talking about wine or just no, in no, general? anything, anything, anything? Oh, mm, gar garlic, so sauteed garlic. Oh, oh, I love this smell. Of my favorite smell, I think, is um, like hiking in the Bay Area, like when it's like misty so it's like kind of petrichor eucalyptus wildflowers wow. it's just this very wow. bay area smell that you don't smell anywhere else oh nice okay what's your favorite curse word there's no beeping so you can motherfucker okay yeah probably piece of shit that's that's all one word <laughs> oh yes yeah like yeah yeah you, yeah, you said a lot motherfucker yeah what sound or noise do you love A cat purring. There's a I black cat, a cat behind purr. you. Yeah, it's not. It's not I there. Love a cat yeah, yeah. So cat purring. Um, I really love. Again, in the in the Bay Area, we have like these very densely forested hiking trails, and when mm -hmm. you're in them, and it's kind of windy and breezy, just the noise of like the wind in the leaves there. Wow. It's just like this very all encompassing. It's super relaxing. Oh, nice. What sound or noise do you hate? Fire engines. Like people hawking loogies. People what? Like the sound. <laughs> like the sound. When people are like, like spitting, like hawking, ah. like. Yeah. Like okay. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh. Yeah. No, that's nice. Yeah. I hate yeah. that sound. Yes. Uh, what plant or animal would you like to be reincarnated in? Oh, yeah. California sea sea otter. <laughs> They're vicious but cute. Yeah. Luxury diet. Yes. <laughs> Luxury diet. Just anemones and abalone, abalone all day. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Kara? Oh, I would want to be just a cat. Just a cat. Just minding my business, living my life. You know, I, yeah, I, yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. Claws, claws <laughs> that retract, you know? Yeah. Love it. And last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome to vacation. Oh, that's good. I don't believe in any of that, but I would love to hear, like, congratulations. Nice. Kara, Patricia, Simi, Greywold, thank you very much. Thank you, you very much. much.